0: Hello, and welcome to the Beauty Lowdown. My name is Paul Graves, and I'm the managing editor for Debtwide Municipals. Joining me today are my colleagues, Mary Ellen Ty, who's our assistant editor and our head of research, Greg Clark. So, Mary Ellen and Greg, I think the first topic of conversation has to be uh, Hurricane Maria, And uh, the damage that it's done, and it's coming off the heels of Hurricane Irma. Uh, So uh, there's a bit to talk about there. Marion, why don't you get us started with an update on the situation in Puerto Rico as we speak.
1: Thanks, Paul. We've been following Puerto Rico. We sort of watched Irma go by, and there wasn't that much of a you know, huge destruction like people have been talking about. But now we're talking about an island that has no power. And I mean, that's just mind boggling to me. They're also having difficulties figuring out where there are water outages because there's no power. So there was some damage to the Puerto Rico Aqueduct and Sewer Authority. Um, and without power being restored, they can't even begin to talk about where they need to work next.
2: This, this brings to mind something that someone said at a conference a while ago that water, sewer, and electric, and maybe a couple other items are essential, are considered essential services for a uh, municipality. But really, electric comes first. Because without that, you can't do anything else. Anyway, Marianne, I'm sorry I interrupted you.
1: I mean, that's the big takeaway. It's To me, it seems like an unfathomable scale of damage. I would like to tell our listeners that our reporters in Puerto Rico, our reporter in Puerto Rico is OK. So. I'm happy
2: about that but yeah the the extent of the devastation there is I don't know how to how to put it other than mind boggling and uh, not to focus on bonds, but I guess that's why we're here, but this certainly doesn't make it more likely that Puerto Rico is going to be able to pay uh, more debt service so
0: right I mean you have a situation right now where Two of the biggest things in need on the island right now are D-batteries and portable fans because of the heat and humidity. And obviously without power, there's really no way of cooling down. So you need a portable fan and you need D-batteries to operate those portable fans. And those are all sold out on the island. They're all sold out online, Amazon, Target, Bed Bath & Beyond. So there are literally people here in stateside on the mainland that are sending family members and friends supplies via mail because that's the fastest way of getting it down to them uh... obviously we expect that there'll be uh, more support coming in but that's the situation on a human level and obviously as we connect this back to what we follow in the municipal market this is going to make for a lot of challenges moving forward because the electrical system the grid was already shaky at best and then on top of that there's a situation where there's no water down there on the island and the puerto rico Aqueducts and sewer authority that's in charge of that they can't give any good estimates yet because without electricity the sensors that are tied to the pipes don't work and also one of uh, the sewer authority's main buildings sustained a substantial amount of damage. So you got a lot of different things, and it's all connected in the municipal market from that incremental credit deterioration. So it's never one thing, and with Puerto Rico, there were always a bunch of things. And unfortunately, the hurricane is going to add to it. But we also have a situation with the U.S. Virgin Islands. They had their ports authority, bonds were downgraded, uh, in the last couple of days from triple B to B plus. Greg, I don't know if you had any thoughts about the downgrade, uh, down, excuse me, and whether you thought it was warranted or, well, just your views on it.
2: I, I was uh, actually surprised. I hadn't been following that rating on the Port Authority as closely as on some of the other Virgin Island bonds, such as the rum tax and the gross receipts tax bonds, which, is, which are also a general obligation of the territory. So again, I was a little bit surprised that the bonds for the ports were rated that highly. It's a little bit surprising as uh, as Mary Ellen mentioned earlier when we were talking that the hurricane was a reason for, the hurricanes were a reason for the lowering of the rating that and, and that that natural disaster risk really should be in the rating in the first place.
0: SMP said it was diminished business prospects. That was the exact language they used.
2: Right, and there's diminished business prospects because the tourism industry there for the upcoming tourist season is probably going to be at or close to zero. There's, the devastation there is is maybe greater than in Puerto Rico and uh, it's, it's just uh, your heart goes out to people in each place because they are living under such horrible conditions right now and the economic base especially in the virgin islands is not going to recover anytime soon
0: yeah and as far as tourism they've already had their congresswoman stacy plaskett came out earlier this week and said at least for this year tourist season is gone so we'll see the ramifications of that i guess what always fascinates me or intrigues me about these super downgrades in the municipal market is that it always gives me pause it makes me think about the rating before as opposed to the rating after so it was the issue here that when it was rated in terms of these particular uh, marine revenue bonds were they rated too high at triple b or are they now rated too low at B plus, and from my perspective, it always seems like these super downgrades are a way of catching up to a rating that maybe was too high to begin with. Uh, because to your point, I mean, both the Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico are islands; they're both in the hurricane zone. So to get downgraded because of hurricane risk, that just uh, that doesn't seem to be a newsy. I'll put it that way. It seems
1: unfair to them, at least in my perspective, because all the rating agencies know when hurricane season is, they know when tourism season is, they know where these islands are located geographically, Um, it seems like they should have sat down with a meteorologist at some point and talked about it, Um, I understand that there were two big hurricanes, but, and maybe this is me only understanding really like blizzards, not hurricanes. But once the lines are down, the lines are down. It's not like the second hurricane doubles the amount of work. It probably is less than if it came a year later. I guess it just feels like you're kicking someone when they're down.
2: Yeah, that's, that's well put. The first storm in the Virgin Islands was pretty much definitive. I don't know how much more damage the second one did. There's an analogy here between hurricanes and earthquakes in the sense that both are natural disasters. The muni industry in general, I think, and including the rating agencies have come a long way in assessing earthquake risk in the last, I don't know, 20 years or so, and there are companies out there. I know that when I was at a former employer, we hired a company to assess earthquake risk in California. There was not a rating agency. There was a bond insurer. But I have to think the rating agencies have done something similar. I hope so anyway. I wonder if they've done anything regarding, uh, as Mary Ellen mentioned, meteorological risk in terms of assessing the likelihood of uh, hurricane incidents and how often they're going to hit. Uh, Obviously, that's, that's a very difficult thing to predict. But I wonder if, again, given that these events are going to happen every few years, you have to wonder whether the rating agencies ever ever had this uh, type of event uh, baked, in, baked, so to speak, into the rating.
0: It will be something we'll definitely be keeping track of as, as the hurricane season is not over. So uh, hopefully there won't be any more, but we'll have to wait and see. But even though uh, these uh, this hurricane took place, uh, you know, things still move on and there were a flurry of filings, particularly on a Tuesday night in regards to Puerto Rico. And there were a couple that we wanted to focus in on Mary Ellen. Uh,
1: thanks, Paul. The two we're going to talk about regard the Puerto Rico sales tax financing corporation, known by its Spanish acronym, COFINA. So the first is that, there's been a big debate between the Cofina and the general obligation bondholders about who should have access to sales tax monies but also there's been a conversation about violating the 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 island's debt limit and generally there's been that conversation on the general obligation side and last week was the first time we've seen these sales tax bondholders say that you know we shouldn't we, the sales tax, shouldn't count towards the debt limit. Rather, the general obligation and public building authority bonds issued as far back as 2011 were really the ones that broached this debt limit. This is the first time we've seen COFINA really weigh in on that conversation. The other filing, COFINA is represented by the Financial Oversight and Management Board. They were appointed by the Obama administration as part of the Puerto Rico Oversight Management and Economic Stability Act, known as PROMESA. Um, And yesterday, that board uh, sought to block the COFINA agent, which had hired Centerview partners as a financial advisor, and the oversight board is maintaining that, that Centerview does not need to look at the Commonwealth's financial condition in order to resolve the dispute over the ownership of sales tax funds that i mentioned earlier
2: that seems counterintuitive
0: kofina has a problem with kofina's agent that's different
2: yeah things things are getting more involved all the time
0: yeah well it seems like there's there's more and more lawsuits coming all the time Uh, But speaking of lawsuits there was a a fitch uh, commentary that caught your eye greg around another lawsuit going on and dealing with statutory liens i know you had some
2: thoughts on that yeah fitch took the uh, opportunity earlier this week it commented on a decision regarding payaje investments and i won't go into the whole thing about who they are regarding some puerto rico highways and transit authority bonds and the judge judge swain in puerto rico i, I should say of the bankruptcy court the title three court denied a motion by Payahe Investments, and as Fitch indicated, that surprised some market participants. Fitch, to his credit, we uh, we bashed rating agencies a little bit uh, earlier, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll say something favorable now. Fitch has been probably the thought leader in terms of assessing the validity of a lien on revenues, this, this whole area of municipal analysis has progressed in the last five, six years, I guess, ever since the Detroit bankruptcy when, when uh, certain bonds in the Detroit bankruptcy were set to benefit from a statutory lane. So in, in, the, in the Detroit case, that, that was a matter that was adjudicated by Judge Rhodes. Who was the bankruptcy judge in that case, and Fitch made the point that there are many lanes that market participants think are statutory lanes, but they don't protect bondholders in bankruptcy proceedings one of the sti- one of the distinctions that Fitch draws is in terms of a consensual lane which, as I understand it, appears in bond documents versus a statutory lane which appears in state law obviously if you've got a if you've got Legal protection in state law, that's a lot stronger than having legal protection just in bond documents, which are between the issuer of the bonds and the bond holder. That's one area that that they focus on.
0: Greg, let me ask you a quick question in terms of the market participant side. Do you think this is a matter of market participants not knowing, not caring, and or not understanding?
2: I'd say that five years ago it was not knowing since then it's become increasingly obvious to people that this is something we need to explore pretty much on a case-by-case basis to step back even further. Even before the Detroit bankruptcy, I was at a conference where people were discussing the fact that not all GOs are created alike. In some states, they, uh, the localities can issue general obligation bonds, which have much greater legal security than in other states. And I'd say 20 years ago, people didn't think about that kind of thing at all. Now they are much more conscious of it. And I think because state law differs from state to state, the conditions the legal conditions under which localities issue what are commonly called general obligation bonds also vary from state to state and therefore people i think are looking at a general obligation pledge much more closely than they did five years ago
0: yeah it seems like there's a a lot of things that are being rethought in the market so this will be something else that we'll be monitoring over time but i want to shift gears a bit to the commonwealth of pennsylvania and their recent downgrade again bringing in the rating agencies greg i don't know if you had any thoughts about uh the downgrade that was from double a minus their general obligation rating
2: to a plus correct that happened uh, on wednesday uh and Poor's lowered its rating now, my first thought was that this was a little bit Abrupt, given that Illinois, for instance, went for so long without a uh, without a budget, they were they went two full years without a budget and were risking a third year. I guess what caused the difference in terms of Pennsylvania is that well, there might there might be a few things. Um, one is that Pennsylvania's had a structural imbalance, which is a term that can mean a lot of things to different people, mostly it means that on an ongoing basis they haven't been raising enough revenue to pay their bills. They've also had a history of late budget adoption and S&P thinks that all of this could continue. There's also weaker liquidity and reliance on one-time revenues. And I think the turning point was that the state treasurer and the auditor general cited the lack of a balanced budget and the likelihood or at least possibility that a balanced budget would not be adopted soon in their decision to refuse to lend additional monies to the general fund during, a, during the times of straightened liquidity, which are going on right now. As an aside, the state, the governor, the state treasurer, and the state auditor are all Democrats. And the legislature, both houses of the legislature are controlled by Republicans. It's I don't want to read too much into that, but it would seem that there's probably some politics going on and, and that the uh statewide elected officials are probably trying to urge the legislature to go along more with the governor's plan. That's just from ten thousand feet that that's how it looks to me. In any in yeah. any Go ahead, Paul.
0: No, I was going to say a couple of things was that they have a little funky way in terms of how they adopt a budget, right? Because uh, before they were saying they had a Splendid plan and they were telling people, well, hey, we've adopted a budget, but in Pennsylvania you also need to adopt a revenue plan. Which is what's in contention or under contention right now, and you know when I was looking at the S and P report, they had this one sentence, and this is in connection to what you were saying about the state treasurer lowering their money, and, and uh, in terms of that situation, and S and P said they call the lending to the Commonwealth in the current circumstances an economic moral hazard that would increase the long-term risk to the Commonwealth's finances. Man. I can think of the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico where that could be an issue. And I can think of a few other places where lending was an economic moral hazard, but it still happened anyway. And there weren't any ramifications like what we're seeing
2: here. Um, so I just, I don't know if... Yeah, that's, that's pretty strong language. I agree. Uh, and as you mentioned, they don't really, they, you might, you'll run into some people, some people who would say, yeah, Pennsylvania's got a budget but they really don't. If you've only agreed on how much to spend, but you haven't agreed on how to raise the, the money that you want to spend, you've only got a half of a balanced budget. And to me, that's not a budget at all. The, you uh,
0: had a good example earlier to, for people, didn't you, about in terms of like having a spending plan but not having a job?
2: Yeah, it's, it's as if I go home and I tell my wife, hey, I'm gonna spend a million dollars this year. And she says, great, where are you gonna get the money?
1: You don't need to know where you're going to get it. You Just need to know how it's. You yeah. got a budget,
2: Greg. I got a budget. I know that. I know that I'm going to spend a million dollars. There's also the the uh, another. I don't know if it's an irony, but I'll call it that for right now. Uh, there's a balanced budget requirement, and Pennsylvania is apparently in violation of that, which gets me back to one of my pet peeves about people citing uh, state governments as having to operate with balanced budgets. Well you can adopt a balanced budget, but if your assumptions behind revenue and or spending are inaccurate or invalid, sometimes knowingly inaccurate or invalid, you really don't have a balanced budget. But uh, Pennsylvania may not have a budget for a while yet. Uh, it'll, It'll be interesting to see how this one turns out. I do think they'll resolve it a lot sooner than Illinois ever did. Uh, and it's two years of, of uh, lack for budget. And that's that's about all I have to say on that. But, it, again, it's going to be interesting.
0: Yeah, we're going to have to keep track of this and how rating agencies made this determination between what gets downgraded and what doesn't. Because, you know, with Illinois, they seem to give them credit for at least negotiating, uh, which I remember at the time we thought was a little odd because um, now they were kind of weighing in on something that wasn't a concrete step one way or the other you know you're just getting credit for effort which seemed a little weird to me and then using this moral hazard language i mean there's a lot of things where you could apply that to if that's going to be the standard so i don't know whether this is just a shifting in thought in the municipal market or is this an isolated case but it will be fascinating to watch but we have one more state that's still struggling, Mary Ellen, with some challenges, the state of Connecticut. What's going on there?
1: Thanks, Paul. Last weekend, Connecticut's General Assembly passed a two-year budget. they That's standard. They do two-year budgets. It's not standard and that they should have done it before, um, before the end of June when last fiscal year ended and this fiscal year started. The budget closes a $3.5 billion deficit. But... Even though it was passed on Saturday, it still hasn't made its way to the governor's office, and the governor has maintained that he's going to veto it because he considers it to be unbalanced, relying on unrealistic savings, uh, cuts to higher ed, you know, the list goes on. The thing that everyone sort of is watching Connecticut's budget for beyond the typical stuff we talked about in Pennsylvania and what we you know, watched in Illinois is the city of Hartford. They will run into a liquidity issue in November without state aid. And while it's 85 and sunny outside, so I feel like November is a long ways away, it's really only about 40 days. Um, So that's not very long. Uh, There's an October 31st maturity of about $20 million in tax anticipation notes. That Harvard, wow, that Hartford issued to give itself some liquidity and now needs to pay and doesn't have the money. So,
2: or if they do pay those, they would have liquidity problems right after that, right? Right. So, either way, they appear to have some pretty serious liquidity problems.
1: Yeah, they estimate that they need $40 million um, for the rest of fiscal 18. So that started, again, in July and ends in June.
0: Yeah, another situation we'll have to watch closely. And, and maybe next week, Seth can come back. He's been gone for a while. AWOL, I don't know what he's been doing. He hasn't told us. I, if anybody out there knows where Seth is, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Seth <laughs> has just been gone on vacation, things like that. So our our capable deputy editor will be back next week. But hope you guys enjoy listening to this latest episode of Muni Lowdown and we'll talk next week. Take care.